to the weekly message from Angel of Joy Lutheran Church, an ELCA congregation located in Lufkin, Texas. Pastor Paul Guy and the family of Angel of Joy invite you to join us for worship at 10.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings. If you should find yourself in our neighborhood, please enjoy this message and visit our website at angelofjoy.org. Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In the adult Sunday school class this morning, we were trying to figure out what can you tell a person who has no religious background at all, what can you tell him or her about God? How can you describe God? Well, obviously, there's no way we can truly describe how God looks, although there have been historic renderings, especially, oh, like the Sistine Chapel where Michelangelo pictured God as a an elderly man with a long white beard reaching out to touch the, the newly created Adam. But we don't really have a picture of God or anyone beyond about 150 years ago. So that's a lost cause. But how can we tell people about the character of God or if you will, the mind of God. And that's not as easy to do either, certainly not from biblical references. We've got the Old Testament on the one hand and the New Testament on the other, and the New Testament, of course, is is caught up intrinsically with the revelation of Jesus Christ as the divine Son of God who preeminently was able to describe and explain God's nature to us but in the Old Testament, well, this morning we we heard about the Old Testament reading from Exodus. God was ticked off through all those miracles that Moses was able to perform with the blessing of God and the, the input of God, I guess I should say. He was able to twist... Pharaoh's arm to the point that he finally said, go, get out of my kingdom, you're free. Of course, we know that he changed his mind, and and at the parting of the Red Sea, the waters drowned all those Egyptian soldiers, so God's people were free. He had set them uh, at liberty from the bondage that they had known for quite a long time in Egypt. And on their way to the promised land, they had great visions of what it was going to be like. We're going to have a land of our own, a land of milk and honey, a place where we can have a great abundance of all the good things in life and no one to tell us how to live our lives. But they had to wander first for 40 years, we're told, in the wilderness. And what happened was that they got to grumbling. They said, well, why are we out here in this place of misery? God just dragged us out. At least in Egypt we had enough to eat and we could go home to the same place every night for shelter. It was hard work, yeah. We had no voice in how we were to live our lives. But at least we had enough to eat. And so they grumbled. And after a while, God got kind of annoyed with them. And he was ready to wipe them out, just like he had done to the whole world earlier with with the great flood. Remember, 
Noah was advised to build an ark and to bring his immediate family on board, and everyone else was left to their own devices. And after 40 days and 40 nights of heavy rain, much like Colorado's been experiencing the last few days, the world was silent except for those people caught up in the ark together. Well, God was ready to do pretty much the same thing all over again to those those cranky Israelites out in the wilderness. They weren't even Israelites yet. They were just Hebrew people without a name or a nation. But they were his. And he was ready to say, enough of this. Their sacrilege, their bad attitudes, their whining and complaining. I don't want to hear it anymore. I know what works. I'm not going to flood the earth this time. I swore that I would never flood the place again, so I'll just scorch them real good. This time it was up to Moses to say, no, don't do that. You made your promise. You're going to make them your people and you're going to make them multiply and they're going to become a great people and they're going to praise you. Sometime, right now, the shame is on them. Don't shame yourself, O God, by destroying them. So we see an angry God, a God of judgment, a God of great demands. I want you to do what I want you to do or else you're in for some serious problems. And then we see another aspect of the mind of God, one that we probably weren't aware of before. We read the the words, and the Lord changed his mind about the disaster that he had planned to bring on his people. God's mind could be changed. Now, Many of you, like me, in confirmation class some time ago, learned three big words that described God. One, God is omnipresent. God is everywhere. God is also omniscient. God knows everything. At all times, in all places, God knows what's going on. He knows the tiniest little detail of the most insignificant person's life. And omnipresent, omniscient, what's the last one? Omnipotent, yeah. I think I heard someone mumble that. God is all-powerful. God can do anything. I remember the, the puzzling question that someone about that time in my life posed. Could God build, could God create a rock that's so heavy that God can't lift it? Hmm. Well, we never got that answer, but the three words were omniscient. He knows everything. God is omnipresent. God is everywhere. And God is omnipotent. Omnipotent. God is all-powerful. But caught up in that image was if God knows everything and God is all-powerful, And along with that, with that sense of knowing, was that God can see into the future, although that's not an omni word. That was caught up in our theology, too. God knows what's going to happen down the road a thousand years from now. Well, if that's the case, then why would God ever change God's mind? When God planned to do something, it was going to be right the first time. No? Isn't that right? But Moses convinced him otherwise. So that's a new aspect of God. God's mind can be changed. 
the Old, Old Testament picture that we have of God, if we go down through from, from the very beginning, Genesis, all the way to the New Testament, we find out that God is pretty demanding. Obey or die. And as you enter this, this land I promised to you, I want you to wipe out these cities, all people, men, women, children, even livestock. Remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah? God said, when you get out of that city, don't even look back. No matter what you hear, all the noise, the wailing, the weeping, the thunder, all of that stuff, don't look back. So what happened to Lot's wife? Do you remember what she did? What happened? She she turned around, and what happened? Turned into a pillar of salt. Poof! She was something you'd find in the spice section of the supermarket. That didn't sound very gracious of God, does it? And, of course, I mentioned Noah and the flood. He wiped out all of humankind except for Noah and his immediate family. A very... A very harsh God. A very inflexible God. Do it my way or suffer the consequences. How could you love a God like that? You are in, a, you're in fear or terror of God. That's a picture that the Bible gives us of God. The Ten Commandments were given. These are the rules you must live by. And if you don't live by them, then... Well, you are warned. Don't break these rules if you expect to live. We heard that lesson, or that in that first lesson today, of Moses trying to calm God down. And we learned that God's mind could, could be changed. Now we heard also the psalm, presumably the great David wrote it. And in that psalm that you heard, starts off, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love and your great compassion blot out my offense. Why should he be begging God to do something that he expects God to do anyway? Maybe he's getting trying also to get God to change his mind, just in case God is going to say, Up, oh, now you're going to get a whooping. And David is saying, No, please, you're a God of compassion. You're a God of steadfast love. Wash me through and through from my wickedness. Cleanse me from my sins. And then you won't have anything to be angry with me about. So he's sensing that God could be kind of tough on him. Now you remember the story of Moses and Bathsheba, the one who he saw from his balcony as she was bathing herself. He started to covet her, but she was married. And in the end, the course of events, he ended up making sure that her husband was killed in battle so he could take her to himself. And she got pregnant. Nathan was sent to him. said, you made a big mistake there, David, and God is ticked off at you. And you're not going to get off of this one scot-free. Well, God loved David. And I think he probably loved Bathsheba too. But according to the prophet, what God intended to do, he did do. And that child that was born out of their coupling died. 
The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. You've heard that before, sometimes at funerals. I don't like that passage. I think it was a corruption of, of a translation. The Lord doesn't take away except the guilt of sin. The Lord has all the time in eternity to wait for, for us to come home to be with him. He doesn't snatch us away from our loved ones. But in the Old Testament, they really thought that. They really thought that God was a God that could turn on them in a moment's notice or maybe even without any notice at all. So do the best that you can do and hope for the best and try to stay on God's good side or suffer. And people had that attitude. And they really had an attitude that carried over to their neighbors too because if they saw someone get sick or they saw someone go bankrupt or they saw someone that was born with a a birth defect, they said, this wouldn't happen if God liked them. If God was happy with them, everything would be hunky-dory. And so they said to themselves, and, and it was part of their theology, that if someone was suffering adversity, then they must have done something to anger God because God was getting his retribution. And that's what people lived by. And God knew it. And God didn't like it. He said, they got the wrong picture of me. They don't understand what's in my mind. In the beginning, we heard the creation story in Genesis. From the very first chapter, the words in English are, so God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. But by the time the Old Testament had played out, people had created a God in their own image. When they didn't like someone, they got revenge. They took it out on them. And they assumed that God did the same thing. And a lot of that stuff is carried over even into the 21st century A.D. Our first, our first New Testament lesson today, the letter of St. Paul to Timothy... We heard about a God who acted in mercy toward Paul. Paul pointed out his problems. I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of God, of our Lord, overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Formerly, I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, a man of violence. That's not how God came to me. He didn't attack me for all of the evil that was in my heart back when I was persecuting Christians. God called me to salvation through Jesus Christ. And he sends me now to tell you that he loves you. Pretty different image of of God. And yet Paul was sent into a world that was full of violence. The Roman Empire, of course, you know all about that. Ultimately, Christians fed to the lions whole civilization slaughtered. And Paul came to the people to say, no, that's happening, yes, it's happening. People are being slaughtered. People are dying cruelly. But that's not God's doing. God is saving us. God is loving us. And if you want proof, look at Jesus Christ. He sent his own son to give his life on the cross. 
He loves you that much. And then in the gospel today, we get another sense, not of the mind of God so much as the the mind of human beings, the tax collectors and sinners, the outcasts, the ones that had been on the outside for so long were coming to hear Jesus to find out that God cared about them. God redeemed them. God intended them to be blessed. And then there were those, the, the upstanding ones in the church, the Jewish Pharisees, and they were, and the scribes, the ones that wrote down the law, and they were grumbling and saying, hey, this Jesus, hey, he's welcoming sinners, and even sits down and eats with them. And that was the kind of thing that they believed would get you, well, kind of like in Lufkin, going to the wrong restaurant that gets a lot of demerits, and you're going to get sick, and you're going to get, you're going to suffer because you went to the wrong place, and maybe hung out with the wrong people, and they saw Jesus as this perverter of the good law rather than the purveyor of God's love. So who do you explain to a novice what God's mind is like? Is God someone that's going to get you? Remember there's an old TV show with B. Arthur called Maud. Do any of you remember Maud on TV? Yeah. And what was that line she was always saying to her husband? God will get you for that. Remember? God will get you for that. She didn't like something that her husband had done. He never said it to her. She said it to him. But anyway, that's a whole different sermon. The thing about it is, God's mind really hasn't changed. He can change his mind about doing something. But the mind, or shall I say the heart of God, is always the same. A God who is like Jesus' story of the the prodigal son, the father, the loving, seeking father, the welcoming home father, the break out that fatted calf and have barbecue father. This is the mind and heart of God to love us, to care for us. We see changes in the Bible, and if you just flip it random to a particular page, you might find something that kind of shakes you up. So it's not the word-for-word printed Word of God that we love, but the Word of God that speaks to us through the Scripture as a whole, that tells us how much God loves us and how much God has done to redeem us and make sure that it's not just for a little while that we experience his love, but forever. I think that's what the gospel is all about today. When we're trying to figure out who is God, we've got to stop trying to create God in our own image, a God of prejudice, a God of favorites, and there's plenty of that out there, believe me. There are plenty of churches out there that will tell you who God loves and who God doesn't love. There are plenty of Pharisees out there, even today, But I don't care about them. What I care about is what takes place right here and now. And that's that we know a God of love. Not just for us, but for all of his creation. Especially today, the ones that need him most. And have never in their own mind experienced him. We've got a great opportunity to share this vision of God's mind with others.
Not the God that's going to punish you, but the God that's going to love you to death and a whole lot further than that. Amen. Thank you for listening. Please provide feedback on the iTunes podcast page and visit our website at angeljoy.org for more information.